0: Thanks, Yuna. Thank you for sharing with us. Uh, next week, um, we're going to hear from uh, Chris Lee. Uh, he is uh, one of our house church shepherds, and uh, he's going he's to testify to what his experience in Ecuador was like last summer. Uh, so yeah, excited about that! Uh, we're in the midst of this uh, series here on the promises of, of God, and I want to, last week we kind of introduced it by talking about the fact that God has given us these great and precious promises, apart from which if we don't open up this treasure box of of promises, a lot of times what we think Christian life is, it's uh, the blessings of God that Christ has secured for us at Calvary, is forgiveness of sins in our past and then a future in heaven way down after we die. But in this great in-between chasm called life, Uh, There's no difference in how we live, and we don't experience and appropriate uh, the grace of God and the power of God in our lives as a result. I want to talk today, beginning today, about some of the specific promises that God gives to us, and I want to begin by talking about the promise that God gives—that He promises to be a father to us. I'm reading a a book by. Well, I'm not reading. I should. I should not lie to you. I have a book on my desk. (laughs) Uh, by Meg Meeker. She's a psychologist and it's called Strong Fathers, Strong Daughters. And and the basic premise is that um, all this research after 20 years of research in adolescent and childhood uh, female development, her conclusion is that uh, everything that a young girl needs stems from her relationship with her father. The things that she needs from attention, uh, affection, protection, courage, wisdom, these things are all shaped in her through her relationship with her dad. I remember uh, last year sometime my daughter had, uh, on the school's website, there was this thing about a father-daughter dance or something, and I was really, I'm kind of nervous about these things because I don't like, you know, I don't like dancing. I don't like dancing very much, and it's really awkward. But for my daughter and for my wife, I will. I will do that. And so um, I was not excited, but I, I wanted to go because I know that these things are important. And then I realized that it was no longer up on the website after you know, the next week I went to check to find out when it is, how to get tickets and stuff like that. Uh, I wasn't sure why that was. And I, I, don't know, I don't know if I'm mixing stories up, but uh, somebody said, well, the reason they could not call it a father-daughter dance anymore is because so many young girls at the school don't have fathers. And I thought, how heartbreaking. Devastating. There are so many psychological studies, books that are written about the importance of a father in the life of his children. Almost every societal ill in some way can be traced back to the absence of a healthy relationship with a father. There's one, uh, Paul Robeson wrote this book, and he talked about this one prison chaplain who thought it would be a great idea if I can get Hallmark, a card company, to donate cards to these prison inmates for Mother's Day in order that they might be able to write a card for their mom, thanking them for all that they've done. And so uh, Hallmark donated all these cards and envelopes and and stamps. All that the inmate needed to do was request it, write it, and then they would take care of the rest. They said the response was so overwhelming that over 500 cards were requested by these inmates and sent out to their mothers for Mother's Day. The response was so overwhelming that he said, hey, I'm going to contact Hallmark again for Father's Day. He said, can you do the same thing for Father's Day? And they got 500 cards, and they said exactly zero people requested a card for their father. That is tragic. The number one predictor of deviant criminal behavior, according to this study, according to this uh, case study, it's not race, it's not religion, it's not socioeconomic status, it's the absence of a healthy relationship with dad. Paul Vitz did another study, over the, uh, studied uh, the, the, the psychology of atheism. 100 people that he studied, the most well-known atheists who don't believe there's a God and agnostics who believe that there is a God but he cannot be known... 100 of the most influential and important atheists and agnostics over the past 125 years, he analyzed them, studied them, interviewed them, asked them all these questions, and categorically his conclusion was atheism is created by bad fathers. And the sad reality is that in the past 50 years fatherlessness has been on a massive spike, and especially over the past 15 years, you see this trend in exponential ways with the hookup culture. Children born out of wedlock, Uh, same-sex marriages, increasingly children are growing up without healthy fathers, without fathers, without understanding what a father ought to be in their lives, and it's showing in the way that we live. The number one predictor, Number one predictor, not only of criminal and deviant behavior, but of premarital sex, of sexual deviancy, of violent behavior, is lacking a right relationship with a father. So what hope is there then? In a culture, in a world that is increasingly becoming fa- defined by fatherlessness, what hope is there? I think That there's a great amount of hope because the statistics don't tell the whole story. We're not defined by them. And countless people through the years have found hope in the timeless treasure of promises that's found in the word of God. And particularly, I want to point us to Zephaniah chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. And look at the promise of a father. The first promise I want to look at is God says, I promise that I will be the perfect father to you. Zephaniah comes towards the end of the Old Testament, maybe about 10 pages before the New Testament begins. Zephaniah chapter 3. Zephaniah was a prophet. Uh, He prophesied, uh, just a a quick background, quick background. What ended up happening, the north, okay, Israel uh, divided into two after the reign of Solomon. So Israel in the north, 10 10 tribes in the north, and Judah in the south, two tribes Uh, Israel had been taken away and destroyed the judgment of God by the Assyrians. And then, um, so here's Judah. And Judah is increasingly running away from God, running away from his commands, running away from his teachings. And the prophets were constantly calling as the voice of God to woo them back to him. And so they would come back and they would falter. They would come back and they would falter. In this particular point in time, they're just years from their demise, From the judgment that would come at the hands of the Babylonians, there's a king that rose up named Josiah. And Josiah fought and did whatever he could to reform the people according to the word of God. But the people of God were too far gone. And so in time, in just a matter of years, Babylon would be the agents of God's judgment on the people of God. They would be taken into exile away from their home, away from their land, away from their people, away from their religion, and sent out into a foreign land. And yet what Zephaniah was saying, but was even in the midst of that, even in the midst of that, if you turn back to God, if you put your trust in him, there will be a remnant that God will bring back. And in the midst of that judgment, the judgment is not because God's angry and he wants to destroy, but it's because he wants to purify and he wants to woo you and to bring you back to him. So what do the people of God do? What is God's posture towards them? What is God's stance towards them? How does God see the people of God who are turning away from him and we're about to face a judgment of God? This is what Zephaniah the prophet says in verse 16. It says, on that day, they will say to Jerusalem, do not fear, O Zion. Do not let your hands hang limp. The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. This is God's word. A theologian named O. Palmer Robertson said that Zephaniah 317 is the John 316 of the Old Testament. There's one verse that you hide in your heart as a treasure chest as a promise that will not let go of you, I would highly encourage you to commit this one to memory. This is huge. If you can get this and if you can allow this to to, to soak into and and, and saturate your being, here's what he's saying. The language that he's using is, I will be to you what a perfect father ought to be to his child. In other words, no matter how awful your father is, Has been. No matter how absent your father has been, no matter how abusive your father has been, no matter how distant your father has been, no matter how flawed and faulty and sinful and broken he was, every wound that has been inflicted upon you can be healed and restored and renewed and filled up by the presence of a true and loving father. That's what he's saying. It's a promise. That as, is as good to you as cash in your hand, if you would believe it. Two thoughts. The first thing that he says as he promises to be a father, says your father will be fully present and is ready to help you. Your father will be fully present and is ready to help you. I, I got an email on Wednesday night or right before our prayer meeting started. I was, uh, waiting for you know, the person who's going to share the devotion to come, and I was looking at my phone, and I got an email from a, a young man. I think he's a brother in Christ. He, at one point, was a member here, was an attendee here at Harvest, and had since moved away. It's been many years now. And he was just writing, say, Hey, Pastor D.L., I just wanted to catch you up on my life, I wanted to tell you about the things that are going on, and to testify to the work of healing that God has been doing in my life. And as he traced the story back, He said, all of these go back to just a terribly dark and abusive relationship with my dad. That's what he's saying. Not my dad, but with his dad. Every kind of abuse that you could imagine, it was inflicted upon him as a young child. Emotional abuse. Yelling, screaming, banging. Physical abuse. Punching. Slapping, kicking, pulling of hair, sexual abuse from his father, the one given by God to protect and to care and to nurture and to teach what love is. Year after year after year after year. And the cracks and the holes in his, the voids in his heart, just gaping holes in his heart as he grows alcohol and drug abuse, the father teaching the son to do it with him, and all of these things happening over a period of many, many, many years, how do I deal with, how can I reconcile the fact that I'm reading that God is a father who loves me, he cares for me, he dotes on me, he loves me, he believes in me with that picture of a father. When I think of God the Father, I can't possibly, I can't close my eyes and pray to this father without thinking that he's without bracing that he's going to hit me. I've gotten this question through the years being a pastor and of being a youth pastor how do I connect this idea? Yeah, I can, I can jive with the fact that Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible tells you so. I can get that he died for me. But a father who loves me? No way. I can't, I, there's no way I can imagine that. Not with my understanding of a father. And what Zephaniah 3.17 is saying, what God is saying through this prophet is, okay, you know what a bad one looks like. Right? Let me show you what a real father looks like now. And allow that to detoxify your broken heart from the wounds that have been inflicted so that you can find healing through the arms of love. What does he say? What does he say? Where is God in the midst of all of the brokenness of our situation? says, so the first thing, the Lord your God is with you. saying, he will be fully, not with, okay, I know God is here. He's here. He's here with all of us. No, we understand what it's like to have a father who's there, but who's not really there. This is my struggle as, as I father my kids. I'm fighting to be there. I think I love my kids and I know that I love my kids. But there are a lot of times when they ask me to be there for them. Alicia uh, Elise says, Daddy, I want, you to, I want to play dolls with you. I want you to push the shopping cart. I want you to push this to, to, to Publix and to Jeremiah's. And I'm, and I'm pushing it. And then after like a minute, I get bored of dolls because that's just not my thing. And I say, okay, Elise, uh, you play on your own now. It's like, no, Daddy, I want to play. I want to play. And so I say, okay, hold on, Elise. I'm going to get my phone. So I get my phone so that while I'm pushing the cart, I'm looking at other things on my phone. And she's like, Daddy, Daddy. I want you to play with me. Play with me. She knows what it's like to have a father who's there, but who's not fully there. You know what I'm talking about? That's a struggle for me. I want to be more present with my family. So Olive tells me all the time, hey, no phones at dinner table, right? No phones at the dinner table. I want you to be fully present. That's a struggle for me. Maybe that's a struggle for you as a child. Your father was there, but he wasn't fully there. He was there in the house, but he wasn't really there for you. The language that he says, he says, the Lord, your God is with you. It's a personal presence that he's saying. He doesn't just say the Lord God is with you. It says the Lord, your God, right? The Lord God of Max, the Lord God of Eugene, the Lord God of Union. He's your God and he's there with you. He's fully present with you. He's not just hanging around the loof, but he's there in the building. He's there with you. Fully present. The second thing he says, he's mighty to save. What good is it to have a father in the midst of hard times who's unable to do anything to help you? Yeah, there are times where we need someone just to weep with us, and God certainly does that. But to do that during every trial of life, that's what a friend does. But that's not what a father does. When your heart gets broken by a boy, you need your father to go and, I don't know what you need him to do. But when, you're, when you've are when you got issues, when you've got a flat tire, you don't need dad just to be there and to cry with you. You need dad to go and to change that. When you're struggling because somebody's been picking on you, making fun of you, saying mean things about you, you don't need someone just to say, oh, it's going to be okay. You need somebody to go and to be your defender, to be your protector. He doesn't just say the Lord your God is with you. He goes on and he says he is mighty to save. the, the, The language here again is he is a mighty warrior. And he is a God who will fight to defend you. He will fight for your honor. He will fight for your heart. He will pursue you. He won't ever leave you abandoned. It's this idea that God is fully present and that He's coming to save and that He's mighty to save that is echoed throughout the promises of God and seen throughout the pages of scripture. You see this from Genesis that God came near to walk with His people. You see it in the Psalms, you see it in Isaiah, you see it in Hebrews, you see it in in Matthew, you see it in the heartbeat of Christmas that God's name, you will call Him Emmanuel, which means God with us and He will save His people from their sins. This is who God is. This is your Father. He's with you, fully present, and he is ready to help you. A lot of times, here's why we're so anxious in life. Here's your diagnostic. Do you know that you've got a father? Are you overrun by anxiety? You constantly worry. Are you constantly asking people to take care of your needs? Are you constantly asking people in tears, I need your help? It's not a bad thing to do that, but I think if we go first and we understand that we've got a father who is fully present and he is ready to help you, I think our anxiety level would, if we really believed that this were true, if we really believed that this were true. In every culture, every age has, uh, every, uh, every society has a kind of ritual of coming of age, in one Native American tribe, the coming of age happens when a boy turns 13, and that's a transition from boy into manhood. And for that 12th year into that 13th year, a father would take his son, and they would go camping, they would go hunting, they would fish, they would cook, they would make a fire, all of these things. And then on the night of the 13th birthday, father would take his son out. The elders of the town, of, the, uh, of that tribe, would take the son out in deep into the woods at night, They would blindfold him, and then they would leave. They will see you in the morning. And so after some time, the 13-year-old takes off the blindfold, and he's surrounded by darkness in the middle of the forest. You can imagine these Native American movies, like, I don't know what movies you can imagine. Apocalypto, where... There's wild animals and things running around, and every sound that he hears awakens, startles, fearful. He can't sleep at night. He's so anxious because he doesn't know what lies around the corner, what lies behind that tree, what's causing that noise. The howling of the wind causes fear to be evoked within him. And the only comfort that he gets is some point at night, after it seems like hours have passed, The dark gives way to the first glimpses of sunlight in the morning. And then he begins to realize that he's safe. As the sun comes up, the new day I'm just kidding. The sun comes up. (laughs) Sun comes up, all of a sudden he can see the trees around him. He can see plants. He can see the path that he's supposed to take. And then if he looks hard about 20 yards away, He sees in the bushes his father, armed with a bow and arrow, 20 yards away. Been there the entire night, ready to fight off anything that might attack his child. You have a father, even when you don't see him, who is fully present with you. He's mighty to save. And anxiety is acting like a 13-year-old boy in the dark who has nobody to fight for him. So often we feel this way, don't we? Why we cry ourselves to sleep at night because we don't fully believe that we have a Father who is fully present and who is ready to help us. What if we believed it, guys? What if we believed that this were true? We would stop going to people who make false promises only to break them because you see a promise is only as good as the one who made it and our father promises that I will be here and I will love you till your dying day and then you'll see the fulfillment of this promise in a way that you never before knew. God, your father promises, hey, I will be fully present with you and I will be ready to help you Mighty to save. That's the first thing that we see is that God, our Father, there, fully present, ready to help. Second thing that we see is your Father is proud to be your Father. I think that in itself can give doses and doses of life to some of us. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. This is the language of pride, of delight, of joy. So many times, so many times I think we falter because we don't fully understand this idea that our Father is proud of us. Because in our world, it's not like that. Did you hear when our outgoing president, Obama, Gave his final speech. The end of his speech, thanking Biden, and thanking his wife, and then he looked at his daughter, right? Uh, famously, only one of them was there. The other was studying for an exam. And we thought only Asians were like that, but there he is. He said to his daughter, of all the things that I've done in my life, what I'm most proud about is being your father. I don't care what you believe about his political views and I I mean, I I don't agree with a lot of what he does, but I cannot disagree that he got that one thing right. What is it like for a kid to hear that? Your your dad is the most powerful man in the world, yet he says his crowning moment is the fact that he's your dad. How many of us long to hear that from the lips of our parents? my proudest moment in life, my proudest achievement in life, it's not, the, it's not the ladder that I climbed corporately. It's not the money that's in my bank account. It's not even the cool car that I drive. Being your dad. That's huge. Imagine if these inmates in that prison could hear their father say that over them think that could change the destiny of a young man, a young woman? You could take that child, bring their dad and say, the proudest thing, the greatest thing I've ever done in my life is being your dad. Guess what? That's what God says. That's what God says about you. It's this language of... of, of see, here's our, here's our challenge. In our world... They tell us that in order for someone to be proud of you, to have worth, you need to earn that. You've got to earn it. That's what a lot of us think too, isn't it? You've got to earn your 4.0 in order to be deemed worthy. Right? You are you know, less significant if you don't get into this school. And so, yeah, there's this blogger. I was reading this blog by Nate Pyle. He's a blogger from Indiana, pastor. He says that's what, that's what our culture teaches us. You earn it through sleeping with the right people through having the right money, uh, right amount of money by wearing this kind of clothes, right? You do these things, then you have this sense of worth. And so we fight. There's this crazy man, a killer on the loose in our city. Uh, You read his social media posts. He says, Orlando, when you remember me, remember the street legends. I remember me. That's what he said. And he went and he, Killed a police officer after killing his pregnant girlfriend. My, He, he wrote goals to be on America's Most Wanted. He feels like somehow that validates his existence. To say that I'm a legend because I killed people and escaped and evaded the cops. To be on the most wanted list for committing some of the worst crimes that a human could think of. Thinks That gives him worth. What if he knew, what if we knew that worth wasn't something that's earned because of what we do, but it's given by God that he deems us worthy because he gave his son to die for you, that this is all of the proving you need to do. You don't have to prove anything. Your worth has been proven at the cross. Your dignity, your value, your sense of meaning has been won for you already that you don't have to prove yourself. All you need to do now is just be you. Just be you. Just live life. You don't need to impress that person. You don't need to dress like this. You don't need to have these things. You don't need to be, have that person on your arm. You don't need to go to homecoming with this person. Just be you because everything that you need for worth and, and for, for dignity and meaning and significance has been given to you already. This is who you are. Thing. in the midst of the darkness, this is what God says. He says, I'm proud of you. That he will take great delight in you. What do you take great delight in? I take great delight in rice and kimchi and a medium rare steak. That's what I take great delight in. Olivia, when she's sick, and when it's cold and raining, she takes great delight. In me. I'm just kidding. She takes great delight in a hot bowl of pho. Our youth pastor, Daniel, takes great delight in mason jars. right? We all take great... What does God take great delight in? He says, God takes great delight in you. you believe that? He will take great delight in you. This is what gets God up in the morning. This is what gets him excited. This is what's on his screensaver on his phone. It's you. He takes great delight in you here. I think this is what it is. All of us know, oh, yeah, God loves me. Yeah, he loves me. He loves me. Just like he loves you and you and you. He loves me. But do you really believe that God likes you? That God likes you. He likes you. Can we be honest? Can I be honest? Like, I love my kids. I, I really do. Sometimes borderline idolatry. I love my kids. But sometimes I don't like them. I have to be careful. I didn't write this in my manuscript because Manny, my daughter, can read, and she reads that stuff. She's like, what do you mean you don't like me? (laughs) Sometimes I don't, though. And sometimes I get annoyed, but I don't understand them. Like, why? And I mean, the the words are coming out of their mouth, but I don't understand what they're... How does that connect with this present situation? I don't understand. Sometimes, and it's a rare moment in time, maybe like 10% of the time, so don't go tell, what you learn today? Oh, Pastor Dale doesn't like his kids, and then our kids here, don't, don't say that, please. There are times where I don't like them. But God always likes you. Takes great delight in you. Great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. So he likes you. He loves you. Sometimes, and I don't know what this means. There's two translations. Some, some scholars will say this means, yeah, by his love he'll make you quiet. And other people will say he loves you so much that he will be quiet. You could take your pick. But he will quiet you with his love. Sometimes, this happened the other day. On Thursday night, Elijah, her four-year-old, was sleeping. And he started to get sick. He was uh, running a fever, and his body was like really warm. And, uh, so as he was sleeping, he started feeling the body aches and the headaches, and he started crying. I waited a little bit. Maybe he'll just stop crying and go back to sleep, but he didn't. So After about maybe 30 seconds, I waited, and I went in, and I... That Elijah, Daddy's here, Daddy's here, Daddy's here. He went back to sleep. Felt his body is very hot. Went back out. About 30 minutes later, he started crying again. Crying. Aya it hurts in Korean. Aya, aya, aya. He's crying and he's like hitting the wall. And so I went in there. Elijah, daddy's here. Thinking maybe the, what I did the first, just pat him, calm him, he'll go back to sleep, but he didn't. So For like a few minutes, he was crying. He said, I said, Elijah, what do you want me to do? Do you want, you want medicine? Do you want daddy to sing to you? He's like, no, don't sing to me. Do <laughs> yeah, yeah. you want daddy to sing to you? Do you want medicine? Elijah, what do you want? He said, apa Anna, which means daddy, hold me. Daddy, hold me. You have a cold. You have germs. <laughs> Daddy holds you. Daddy's gonna get sick. I said, Anna, Daddy, hold me. So I picked him up and I held him. This howling, screaming child. I didn't want him to wake up the others in the house. I just held him. And I said, Elijah, Daddy loves you. Even if I get sick, I want you to know that Daddy loves you and I will hold you. He's like, sniffling. And then after a couple moments, he felt quiet. When I think about this idea that he will quiet you with his love, sometimes that's what I think about. When I'm loud, I'm anxious, I'm fearful, I'm running around, I'm hurting, God's love is a kind of love that quiets us, even if it means that I will pay the price for it. He'll quiet you with his love. He likes you, he loves you. He will rejoice over you with singing. When that silence breaks, what is the sound that you hear? When Elijah wakes up, if I were to hold him all night, which I didn't and I won't and I can't, he's too big. If I were to hold him all night and he would wake up to the sound, not of silence, but of sound. What would that sound be? It would be the sound of singing. When you wake up, he will rejoice over you singing. Father's song spoken over your heart. Heaven's perfect melody. The creator's symphony. Now he's singing over me the Father's love. Heaven's perfect mystery. The king of love has come for me. He's singing over me the Father's song. He likes you. He loves you, but he loves to love you. One of my friends, you, you may have heard him say this. One of my friend Sam, he's a pastor, and he talks about his daughters, Olivia and Natalie, and one time when Olivia was little, she had those, those activities that you, you get at elementary school where you have a bunch of questions and you're supposed to fill in the answer. My dad is X years old. My dad's job is to do this. You know, my dad weighs X number of pounds, his favorite animal, favorite food and all that. And there's one thing it said, my dad's favorite thing to do is fill in the blank. And he said, this is what Olivia wrote. My dad's favorite thing to do is to love me. That's dad gold right there, right? (laughs) My dad's favorite thing to do is to love me. You have a father in heaven who loves to love you. He's proud to be. I get that. I understand that. I understand not all of us in here are Asian, but we all a lot of us Asians have a deep empty void and wound. Like right? This is this is our song. And I asked one of my, my buddies who worked in a multicultural church, I said, Who do you think of all people, all ethnic groups, who do you think has this the worst? Is it Asian people? I, said, I don't think I don't know if it's Asian people, but I know definitely African American people, Latino people. Right? they deal with this in a very deep way too. Or, To the deep, deep issue, increasingly this fatherlessness of our world. To know that you have a father who's proud to be your father, he loves you. He's there for you. He sings this song over your heart. Those who have been kind of walking with us for a while. No, uh, probably about ten years or so ago, I was uh, in in a in a pastoring mentoring group called Scrubs. Uh, Great group of brothers. These guys are my brothers for life. Love them. 11 of us, and then we had uh, several different mentors over us, and we met maybe for about five different sessions. Uh, We're all in different different places. A lot of them in Virginia, New Jersey, Chicago, uh, Washington State, Canada, uh, me in Orlando. Uh, All Asian American pastors and all of us um, had been in full-time ministry, and all of us been in full-time ministry for at least five years, and so... um, the basic idea was hey, we 've been doing this for, for, for some time, and we 're hitting challenges in life and ministry that we, we don 't know how to deal with. Our first generation pastors, for all that they pour into us, don 't understand some of the, uh, just the, the unique challenges that we face and so we brought to, or we had uh, maybe about eight to ten uh, Asian American mentors who are just ahead of the ball game. And really have a heart for people like us, younger, younger pastors. And so they came and for, uh, for maybe five different sessions of, of three or four days each, uh, they would work with us and talk with us and counsel us and mentor us. And that first session leading up to it, uh, that first session was all about dealing with the brokenness that we face in our own lives as we do pastoral ministry. And so we had to do all these journal entries and, and reflective writings and very invasive stuff about our brokenness, about our families, about our biggest failure, about our biggest regrets in ministry, our biggest regrets in life. And, and so um, not light stuff. So we got there and all of these people who were gathering together, I mean, I, I knew a lot of them. I didn't know uh, every one of them, but um, Very highly influential, successful pastors in Asian American churches, um, authoring books and uh, teaching in seminaries, teaching in, you know, just great people and a lot of love and respect for them. But when we got there, the conversation wasn't, how many years have you been in ministry? Or how many followers do you have on Twitter? Or how big is your church? It wasn't about any of these things as many conferences are. But it went straight to the places of our brokenness, and understanding that so much of our brokenness is because of things that have happened to us in our in our lives, right? and particularly family of origin. And so, as we're talking through some of this stuff, one of our mentors um, began kind of teaching, and said, "When we're born, all of us are born with certain needs. We need to be loved. We need to be appreciated." we need to be nurtured, we need to be uh, praised, we need to be applauded, all of these different things. And when we're young, we don't have the capacity to provide those needs for ourselves, so we depend on other people, namely our parents. So you can see immediately where the fissures in our heart begin to come. If you don't have loving parents, then immediately cracks will begin to form. And when that bucket does not get filled, then it dries up, and there will be brokenness, brokenness that comes because we did not receive the very things that we were created to receive. And so from that place, in order to deal with that, we will turn to a bunch of different places in order to fill our well. We'll turn to our pleasure. We'll turn to respectability we'll turn to possessions, we'll turn to relationships, we'll turn to sexuality, we'll turn to whatever it is in order to try to heal the wounds that have been inflicted upon us because of the things that we legitimately needed that did not get poured into our lives. And so from that place, we began to talk about where do you go, what do you do? Why do you work so hard? Why do you drive yourself so hard? Why do you seek the approval of people? All of this thing goes back to the brokenness in our vessel. And so maybe it's a question for you to ask. Did you receive these things? And if you didn't, where do you go? Where do you turn? How do you seek to satisfy those unfulfilled longings in your heart? Because we all go somewhere. And so as all of this rawness was coming out, uh, we were then broken up into... uh, three or four groups of four people each, four people each. And the activity, the exercise that we were asked to do was one by one, stand up, stand behind your chair, and then introduce yourself as if you were your father introducing yourself to the rest of the group. I can tell you that nobody for a good three minutes moved. Nobody wanted to do it because nobody knew what to say. I remember it was about this quiet except for some people starting to cry as they thought about what their dad would say to them. As they thought about, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just blow it in front of all these people. And I remember I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bite the bullet. I'm going to do it. And I stood up behind my, my chair, and I got up, and the only words I could get out was, this is. And then I stopped, and I just started bawling. In a way that I've never cried that much up until that point in my life. I don't think I've cried that much since. So I thought about what would my dad say? I knew what I wanted him to say. But the reason it was so hard was because because I've never heard it. And because I never heard it, I couldn't imagine him saying it. It it seemed like it was probably like 10 minutes. I I just stood there crying. And one of my mentors, a man named Paul Tokunaga, he did, he experienced brokenness to the max. Just came, stood behind me, and he just held wow. me, and he wept, wept with me. I think for a lot of us, the wounds may not be from what our fathers did say to us. Maybe. They're because of things that he did not say to us. And as I struggled through that time, just longing to hear those words. This is my son. Fill in the blank, all that stuff. So that night came, we, you know, everyone was in a mess, right? It's funny to see these like Asian American church leaders all in a ball of, snot in tears. We debriefed that time, talked about it, prayed for each other, wept more. We got together. The next day, uh, the assignment was, do the same thing. But instead of introducing yourself as your dad, introduce yourself the way that your heavenly father would introduce you. And all of a sudden, from that place, man, these dams, of healing just started pouring forth. This is my son, David, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. He is the object of my unending delight. He is the apple of my eye. He is a treasure of treasures worth giving my one and only son for. I am the Lord your God and I am with you. I am mighty to save. I will rejoice of all of these things. And I realize in that place the promise of the Father regardless of what your experience with dad in this life has been, the power of the perfect father to bring healing to your heart is infinitely greater to sustain and to heal and to draw you back into the perfect heart of a father. And here's the cool thing. As that was happening, there was so much healing that came to my relationship with my dad because all of a sudden I was being filled by a father who was perfect, and I no longer needed my dad to affirm me because I had everything that I needed. And so out of fullness, not out of lack, was I able to relate to my dad. I was so filled that I was able to love him, not seeking anything in return, but simply seeking to love because he has loved me first. There's a promise that the father gives to each of us who put our faith in him, that he'll be the perfect father. That we're desperately longing for let's pray I want to encourage us to um, just linger in this in this place for a second and every sermon one of our uh, one of our uh, guest speakers has said every sermon no matter how much you think it impacted you in that moment, it's these moments right now that will make the difference between, huh, okay, good sermon versus something that will change your life and bring healing to you. Do you need the healing touch of a Father who loves you? This perfect Father He does not promise and then flake. He promises to like you, to love you, to be proud of you, to love, to love you, to be present with you, to be able, ready to help you. He's there. Do you believe it? Will you receive it? If you journey, begin a journey to exploring the heart of God. Rest in this love. And anxiety will cease peace of Christ come flooding into your heart you're no longer flying off the handle in anger because you're not operating out of emptiness you are loved daughter of God you are loved son of God you are loved beyond measure receive it believe it rest in his love the love of the father this is a sign of that your body language your posture in a physiological level can really have impact on your understanding of the things that are being spoken why don't we open our hands to receive the healing of God say God I'm giving you my brokenness I'm giving you my pain I'm giving you my hurt. I'm giving you my loss. I'm giving you my void. I'm giving you my emptiness. I'm giving you my scars. I'm giving you my tears. I'm giving these things to you. Because it's only when we understand that we need to let go that we can really receive. And as we let go, let's receive from God our perfect Father. Love unspeakable. Peace unending joy undeniable, hope unconquerable. Let's receive from him. Let's pray, Lord, I need you. Father, I need you. Lord, would you minister to me? Let's pray for just a couple moments that way. Let's respond and let's dig deep the well so that the Father can pour into our hearts right now. Let's pray for our hearts. Lord, come touch us. Father in heaven, touch our hearts. Heal us, restore us, renew us. Satisfy us. Give us what we could never receive in this world. know them if they're a friend you can hold hands with them or just pray for the healing of God and for the filling of the Father heart of God into their hearts maybe the Lord God will use a prayer a touch, something a word spoken by your neighbor to unlock some place in your heart that would lead to a deep wellspring of life that flows into you let's pray for one another Let's pray, let's love one another as we love ourselves. Let's pray. The touch of God, blessing of God, grace of God, healing of God will flow over. our perfect father we don't need to make the honor roll we don't need to make the who's who list we don't have to have the acceptance of the people that the world deems to be the judges of who's popular and who's not we have everything that we need all of our worth Secured by the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ for us. Thank you, Father, that you say to each of us that I love you as if you're the only one in this life to love. If you're the only one on this planet, I still would have sent my son Jesus to die for you. I love you as if there was no one else in this world to love. Father, help us to believe that. Sing your song over us and may we hear it and may it cause us to dance with joy. Heal us, restore, renew, remake us so that we might be fully alive in our identity as the sons and daughters, a perfect father in whom we have everything we need. Thank you for loving us. We can love you because you loved us first. In Jesus' name we pray.